Uh, one of the best coming-of-age movies of all time is the 1985 film The Breakfast Club. It features a handful of high school students thrown together one Saturday morning to serve a detention. These five students could hardly be more different. They, each one represents a different clique in the school. You've got the brain, the jock, the princess, the freak, and the rebel. The one thing they have in common is that they've all messed up in one way or another. And so they're stuck spending the day together. Their assignment is to write a thousand-word essay on the, in answer to the question, who do you think you are? <laughs> when the day begins, they want nothing to do with each other. But as the hours pass, a strange sort of transformation happens. They begin to let down their guard with each other. Their vulnerabilities and hypocrisies are exposed along with their hopes and dreams. Friendships begin to form, flickers of romance even. They begin to imagine what high school might be like if they could be their true selves together all the time. And by the end of the day, they formed a sort of a community and they call themselves the Breakfast Club. Now in the scripture text we're going to look at today, we're going to meet a similar cast of characters a handful of flawed and fallen people thrown together one morning to spend the day together. And one of the things they have in common is that they have all messed up. And as the day unfolds, a strange sort of transformation is going to occur. And they're going to walk away feeling strangely forgiven and free. For five weeks now, we've been talking about what it, what it means to be stalled in our journey of faith and how we can get ourselves going and growing again. And today, in this final message, we're going to talk about what it means or how it happens when we get stalled because of our own sins and failures. Because like these high school students, like the disciples of Jesus, sooner or later, our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities catch up with us. And we find ourselves in a sort of spiritual detention set aside, stuck in place. We're no longer sure of who we are or where we stand or how we can get back on track again. But we're going to discover this week, as we have every week, that these uncomfortable stalled moments can actually become pivotal moments in which we rediscover Jesus and his good work in our lives and in today in particular, discover his amazing grace. So we're going to go to one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. It's one we've talked about many times together before, but I think we'll find some fresh insights today for this journey of faith that we're all making, whether you're feeling stalled right now or not. This will be the, the final message from the four Gospels. Next week, we'll begin making our way through the rest of the New Testament. And we're going to call that last series of the spring, uh, Strong to the Finish and we'll make our way all the way through to the book of Revelation. But today, let's turn to the final chapter of the final gospel, John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. 
And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now we're told a little bit later that this is the third appearance of Jesus to his disciples after his resurrection. The first happened on Resurrection Sunday there in the upper room later in the day. The second happened a week later, again in the upper room. This time Thomas, the doubter, was present. And this is now the third appearance. Now by this time, the disciples have made their way back to Galilee, as Jesus has told them to. They're beginning to believe that Jesus really has risen from the dead. But what that means for them and for the world, they're not really sure yet. Things obviously aren't the way they used to be with Jesus. He's here one minute and he's gone the next. They never know when or even if he's going to show up again and, and what the future is going to look like. So after two or three of the most remarkable years of their lives with Jesus, suddenly they find themselves back in their hometown with no sense of what's going to happen next and nothing but memories of their good times with Jesus. I think of a high school football star a year after graduating. He goes back to his hometown and finds his way to the stadium empty. And he walks around the stadium, walks out onto the field, and he remembers the thrill of the game, the roar of the crowd. And he wonders who it is now that, who he is now that all that is over. That's a little bit like Peter and the disciples in the days after the resurrection. Only it turns out that all the memories aren't good. Now, Peter has failed most conspicuously denying his Lord three times. But the others haven't done very well either. They all abandoned him in the garden. They all, except for John, deserted him at the cross. They all cowered in fear after the crucifixion, and they all doubted his resurrection. So the truth is they've all failed miserably. Think of that high school football star again. Only this time, imagine that it was his mistake on the last play of the game that cost his team the championship. And he's wondering if he'll, he'll carry that memory with him the rest of his life. Is that who he'll always be in that town, the guy who blew the big game? It's safe to say these guys are stalled. Some of it's circumstantial. Things are different now that Jesus has risen. But some of it is their own doing. They have failed miserably. Things just aren't the same between them and Jesus. And they don't know if they ever will be again. And a similar thing happens to us. When we fail spiritually, when we fall short of something God's calling us to do or to be, it could be a chronic sin, something we've struggled with for a long, long time. It could be some sudden lapse of judgment, some moment of recklessness or disobedience. But suddenly we find ourselves out of sync with the Lord. We're feeling embarrassed, ashamed, guilty, disqualified. We don't really feel like, uh, like picking up the Bible or, or praying. We feel like a hypocrite in church, standing up and singing as if nothing's wrong or showing up at our, at our usual post to serve when the memory of what we've done or failed to do is with us. And as time goes by, we get more and more uncomfortable 
in the Lord's presence and we begin to distance ourselves from him. It's the same thing that happens in any relationship when you have a falling out with someone that you love. It's just not so easy to, to just come back together again. It's not so easy to just pick up the phone and call each other or throw your arms around each other. You don't know where you stand with each other and if it'll ever feel the same way again. That's how it must have been for the disciples and that's how it sometimes is for us when we've failed, when we're stalled on our journey of faith. Well, not knowing what else to do, Peter announces, I'm going fishing. Now, we can only guess or speculate as to what his motives might have been. Maybe he's abandoning his career as a disciple and going to go back to the fishing business. Maybe he just wants to escape the stress and uncertainty and get out on the water again and forget about things. Maybe he's just trying to feed his family. Any one of those things could have been a factor. But I think there's something else going on inside of Peter. Think for a minute about how many formative moments Jesus, Peter has enjoyed with Jesus out on the water in that boat. The first time Jesus called them when they had to push the boat out into the water again. Or the time there was that storm at sea. Or the time he went walking on the waves. Or the, the many trips they made back and forth across the lake and conversations in the boat. Could it be that Peter's hoping that just maybe something will happen out there on the water? That maybe the Lord will come near to him again? Maybe he'll begin to remember exactly who he is and what his life is about? We don't know exactly. But I do think there's a, a practical lesson for us here for when we find ourselves stalled sometimes. Sometimes when we're stuck, when we're feeling far from God, sometimes one of the best things to do is to, is to go back and revisit some of the places or people or practices in which we have experienced God's presence. I mean, maybe you go back and to the place where you first came to know the Lord in a personal way. Maybe a church somewhere. Uh, maybe a, a summer camp maybe the campus of your university or your high school. Or you go back and, and, and visit some place where you experience the great sense of God's presence, maybe a retreat center somewhere, maybe your favorite beach or your favorite mountaintop where you sensed God's presence. Maybe you reconnect with some people who were an important part of your journey along the way. A couple of weeks ago, we went back to visit our, our old church on Long Island. Now, the place has changed a lot. It's been 16 years. A whole lot of people there who don't remember us and really don't care. <laughs> and that's probably a good thing. But I was amazed at how meaningful it was for me to be there again, to just kind of walk the halls and to sit in the sanctuary and remember the many times and ways that the Lord met us there and shaped us, our lives and our family and our ministry. I stood outside the door of my old office, about the size of a closet, where I spent the first 10 years of my life as a pastor, learning how to write sermons and, and make budgets and counsel people, where I poured my heart out to God when it all seemed like it was too much for me. It was good to be back and remember how faithful God was to us there. So sometimes when we're stalled, when we're stuck, we need to change things up, try something new, a new Bible, a new devotional, a new group, a new ministry. But sometimes when we're stalled, we need to go back to something familiar, 
to a place or a practice or a person who's been an important part of our journey. And maybe that's what Peter is doing this time. Whatever he's, whatever's motivating him, the other disciples decide that they're going to go fishing too. But if they're hoping to get their groove back, they're going to be terribly disappointed because that night, apparently, they catch nothing after being out all night. Now, I know they say that a bad day fishing beats a good day at the office. <laughs> but on this occasion, a bad day fishing is about the worst thing that could have happened to these guys. Not only are they failures as disciples, they can't even catch fish anymore. What are they going to do now? And it's then, at that low moment, just as dawn begins to break over the lake, they see a stranger on shore. And he's calling to them. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. <laughs> There's anything worse than going fishing and not catching anything. It's having some joker on shore ask you <laughs> if you've caught anything. And notice the way Jesus asks. Haven't you any fish? He knows they haven't any fish. <laughs> he's, he's calling attention to their failure. He's forcing them to acknowledge their empty nets. Not just to acknowledge it, but to shout it across the lake. Now, they don't recognize him. We're not sure why. Maybe it was the distance. Maybe it was the dim light of the morning. Maybe it was the fact that Jesus did look different after his resurrection. Whoever this mysterious stranger is, he not only asks annoying questions, he offers unsolicited advice. <laughs> Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Now, if there's anything worse than having a joker on shore ask you why you haven't caught anything, it's when he starts giving you advice. But for some reason, out of desperation or courtesy, they decide to do what he says. And when they do, the strangest thing happens. With one toss of the net, they catch more fish than they can even haul into the boat. They've never seen anything like it before. But wait a minute. They have seen something like it before. About three years ago, on this very same lake, just down the shore a ways, when Jesus told them to push out a second time, and suddenly, it's deja vu all over again. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Now, this is classic Peter. When he realizes it's Jesus, he jumps into the water with his clothes on and thrashes his way to shore leaving the other guys to row the boat and tow all those fish back in. <laughs> I wonder how it was when he and Jesus greeted each other there on shore. Did they throw their arms around each other in a great big bear hug? Peter, you big goofy fisherman! 
Or was it awkward? Like a couple who bump into each other after they've broken up. Hey, uh, how's it going? <laughs> we don't know. But soon the others catch up. And they have this great reunion on the beach. Jesus already has a fire going and breakfast is on the way. Now, I don't know, but I don't think Jesus snapped his fingers and a fire appeared. I don't think he called to the fish and they jumped into the frying pan. I think he got there early in the dark. Went out and found some wood, built a fire, bought some fish, cleaned them himself, seasoned them with a little something, and put them on the spit to cook. You see what Jesus is doing? He's fixing breakfast for his friends. He's preparing a meal for his disciples. He's extending hospitality to them. This past week, I dropped in on our mom-to-mom group that meets on Thursday mornings here in Lexington. This is a community of, uh, of mothers of young children who come together once a week and find friendship and support and encouragement for the challenge of parenting. It happened to be their last gathering of the year, so they were sharing some stories around the room of what the group has meant to them. And one of the things that nearly every woman said was that mom de mom was one of the few places in their life, maybe the only place in their life, when they could show up and not have to do anything. They didn't have to lay out the food. They didn't have to set the table. They didn't have to make the coffee. They didn't have to arrange childcare. It was all prepared for them. They just had to show up. And they felt so welcomed and so loved, and so valued. That's the message Jesus is sending to, to his friends on this particular morning by the lake. In verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have some breakfast. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. There's been a lot of speculation about the meaning of the number of fish. John is very specific, 153. So some have said that 153 was the number of known nations at the time. Others have said 153 was some kind of alphanumeric code for the Gentiles. You know what I think the number 153 means? A boatload of fish, <laughs> right? An amazing catch, more than they ever could have imagined. If I could choose one day in all the Gospels to be with Jesus and the disciples, I think this would be the day. And I love breakfast, first of all. I eat breakfast three times a day, and sometimes I actually have. I mean, what a day this is. Breakfast by the sea. No bacon and eggs, but plenty of fresh fish and homemade bread. Enough for everybody. Imagine these guys standing around the fire, stuffing their faces, slapping each other on the back, telling stories the way fishermen do about what just happened out there on the lake. I thought you were some kook out there, Jesus. Can you believe this, this, the nets didn't break when we brought in those fish? What a great moment this is. The boys are back in town. <laughs> Jesus and his guys having breakfast, being together, going out to catch fish, just like the old days, like their sins and failures didn't matter anymore. And all of a sudden, we realize what's going on here. 
This isn't just a happy accident. Jesus has orchestrated a teachable moment. This is an enacted parable. This is an extended metaphor. The failed night of fishing reminds them of another night of failure when they denied and deserted their Lord. The command to throw the net overboard again, that's a reminder of their original calling to be fishers of people. The remarkable catch speaks of Jesus' miraculous power and divine authority. And breakfast, breakfast tells them it's a new day. It's a fresh start. Their failures are in the past. They can begin again. This is a story of amazing grace. It's a story of abundant goodness, of undeserved favor, more than they could have asked for or imagined. And the grace, the goodness that Jesus extends to them that day, he extends to us as well. When we fail, when we sin, when we fall short. When we do that, when, 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 we, when we mess up, when we, when we fall short, we, we tend to distance ourselves from God. We feel uncomfortable in his presence. How can we pray and, and ask him to help us when we know we've disappointed him? How can we stand up and sing when we know we're out of sync with him? We're embarrassed, we're ashamed. And so we drift away. We pick up our Bibles less often. We find excuses for missing church. We drop out of our small group. We take a break from serving. And before we know it, we're stalled. We're going nowhere and unsure of how to get going again. And the longer we stay in that place, the harder and harder it is to imagine getting going again. But this story teaches us that even when we've sinned, even when we've failed, Jesus is waiting for us with open arms. He sees us out there on the water catching nothing. He knows. And so he calls out to us, hey, what's going on? He tells us, try again one more time. And, and when we do, when, when, when we pick up that Bible one more time, when we show up at church, when we show up to serve, we find inevitably that he meets us there that we're welcome, that he's glad we're there, that we pick up where we left off and we can go forward again, that there's grace. Breakfast is going. He wants to start again. So I was working on the message this week. I found myself singing an old hymn that we used to sing when I was a kid in our Sunday evening services. It's got this uh, rollicking gospel swing to it. And the congregation used to belt it out. Wonderful, the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than the mountain, sparkling like a fountain, all-sufficient grace for even me, for even me, broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus. Praise his name. Now, it sounds old-fashioned now. The words are kind of churchy. The tune is out of date. But I'm so glad I was raised on that song and on that truth that his grace is amazing. 
Because when we fall short, when we fail, we need to know that his grace is deep enough to cover all of our sin, that it's wide enough to absorb all our shame, that, that breakfast is waiting and we can begin again. But just when you thought the sermon was over, <laughs> just when Peter thought he was off the hook, Jesus says, let's have a little talk. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, it must have stung to hear Jesus using his old name, Simon, and to be asked this question, do you love me more than these? More than what? More than the boats and the nets? Maybe. That's what Jesus was talking about. I think Jesus means, do you love me more than these other disciples do? I think he's reminding Peter of his boast that even if everyone else denied Jesus, he never would. But he did, and it was miserable, and he wept over it. And now Jesus is reminding him of it. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, by this time, it had to be getting uncomfortable for Peter. Why does he keep bringing this up? Can't they just move on? The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. But by this third time, it's obvious that Jesus is, in fact, reminding him of that awful night. Not to rub his nose in it, but to release him from it. Jesus is performing spiritual surgery. He's excising this malignant memory, leaving no margins. And yes, it hurts, but it heals. Jesus is rewriting the script that's been playing through Peter's mind. Failure, loser, denier. Instead of a threefold denial, he now has a chance to make a threefold declaration not, I don't know him, but I love you, three times. It's a declaration not born out of pride and self-sufficiency, but out of humility and gratitude and deep love. And when this difficult conversation is over, Peter finally hears the words he's desperately wanting to hear. Jesus said, follow me. It was, in fact, a new day. He and Jesus are back together again. So here's the lesson for us when we're stalled because of our own sins and failures. God's grace is amazing, but it's not automatic. Forgiveness is a gift, but it needs to be received. There needs to be a conversation. We need to name what's happened. Own up to it. We need to bring it to him so he can take it and forgive it and release us from it. The Bible tells us that we're saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. It turns out we're not just saved by grace. We grow by grace. We live by grace. We fall down and get up again by grace. 
But that grace, like every gift, needs to be received. Not just once, but again and again and again. You see, if Peter hadn't had this moment, if they never had this conversation, he might have gone on to follow and serve Jesus in wonderful ways. But he would always be haunted by that memory. And so his discipleship would be driven by guilt, having to prove himself again and again. His service would be corrupted by, by pride and by, by, by self-sufficiency. He needed this conversation. And the same thing is true for us when we get stalled, when we get stuck. We can't just breeze past it. We need to name it and own it and face up to it. Until we do, we'll never be free. Many, many times over the years, I've sat with people who've come to me in a moment of spiritual or moral or relational failure. Maybe it's an infidelity or or a divorce or a a crime or a, a, a lapse of judgment or a relapse into some addictive behavior. And they're wondering, they're wondering if there's grace for them. Can they ever get their way back again? Will they ever feel comfortable again in God's presence and with his people? Will they be able to serve again, to marry again, to stand and sing at the top of their lungs again? And my answer is always yes. Absolutely yes. And the way back begins with repentance with a conversation in which we name what has happened. We bring it to the Lord and let him take care of it. No excuses, no rationalizing, no defensiveness, no blaming this person, no saying, yeah, but them, no comparing ourselves to others, just owning it and receiving it. And over the years, I've seen many, many people recover from really awful things and find great joy and fruitfulness in their lives and relationships again. And I have known a few people who have never been able to get to that moment of repentance and humility. And they've just tried to move on. They may stay in the church, but they drift to the fringes of life. And they never know the joy and fruitfulness that was meant to be theirs. So all this to say, if you're feeling stalled these days because of some spiritual failure... Don't waste another day wallowing in that failure. Throw yourself overboard. Thrash your way to Jesus. Throw yourself down and say, Lord, here it is. And let him forgive you. Let him welcome you. Let him serve you breakfast and get started again. Grace is amazing, but it's not automatic. Forgiveness is free, but it needs to be received. So this morning, I want to invite you to join a better breakfast club. Those uh, five high school students had a surprising experience that morning in detention. They began to imagine a, a better future. They began to imagine what it would be like to be their true selves with each other all the time. But then they suddenly remembered that it's high school. There's not a lot of grace in high school. As soon as they got back into the hallway, they would once again revert to their old selves, to their pretending and their posturing and their divisions and their differences. Because there's not a lot of grace in high school or anywhere else in society for that matter. How different it is in the halls of the church, in the fellowship of the forgiven, in the society of Jesus. 
those mom-to-mom women I spoke about a few moments ago, the second common theme of their sharing, in addition to feeling graciously welcomed, was the freedom to be honest. They said, this is the one place in the world where I don't have to pretend everything's okay. I don't have to pretend I'm a perfect parent. I can be honest. Because if there's one thing that will expose your failures and weaknesses, it's parenting. (laughs) And this was the place they could be honest and find forgiveness and help and hope for a better day, a breakfast club. I love the fact that the Gospels end with breakfast. Because breakfast always means a new day. It means a fresh start. It means we get another crack at this thing called life. So wherever you are on that journey of faith, whether you're stalled or not, know that no matter who you are, where you are, what you've done, or how long you've been away, you can always get going and growing again by receiving the wonderful grace of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we invited you to meet us here in these moments, to speak to us through your word, and we sense that you've done that and are doing that. And we're thankful that we have a few moments now to gather around your table and actually seek and receive the forgiveness that we've been speaking of. So we pray that in these next moments you would quiet our hearts, that we would hear your voice, and that we would sense your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.